Well, this morning we have uh, we have been given the opportunity, the blessing, opportunity, blessing, however you want to describe it, to have a man here, uh, Pastor Marty Basinger. Uh, just a few months ago, I was sitting at my other job, my work. Um, I'm not even sure what day it was, but I was sitting there and, and I received a phone call and and it was Pastor Marty. And he said something to the effect, I paraphrase, you don't know me, but I know a lot about you. <laughs> and and I'm very, very thankful for, for that phone call because uh, Pastor Marty has become, over these past few months, become a, a dear friend of mine. Uh, he has become a man who I have been able to spend many hours with talking to about ministry, uh, about ministry here in Gainesville. Pastor Marty has been here in this city for 12 and a half years. I think that's what you've told me several times. Pastor Marty has been ministering here in this city, um, really plowing and, and plowing the field, uh, really preparing the field. I, I feel like I, I know in my heart that the work that Pastor Marty has done in the past 12 years here will, will show, continue to show fruit uh, for many years uh, here in Gainesville. And I certainly am thankful to get to know Pastor Marty and, and his wife Susan over these past few months, and I'm praying for them as they, as they transition uh, to wherever the Lord would place them in the next, uh, next ministry that, that Pastor Marty would have. But in the meantime, we get the opportunity to, ha- to have him here. And I hope you guys take advantage of that opportunity and get to know him and, and his wife, his dear wife, Susan. I just wanted to draw your attention very quickly to 1 Thessalonians. You don't have to turn there, but I just want to draw your attention. Uh, it says in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit, and, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Well, God has used, has used men to, to preach his gospel. And I know that, and I've been around Pastor Marty for the past um, several months, and I've gotten to know him, and I know that he loves the Lord, and he loves the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he loves his word. So I'm very thankful that he is here to preach to us this morning. Come preach to us, Pastor Marty. Now, as a word of clarification, I did call Mr. Brandon. I had, had his number uh, <clears throat> in my desk drawer, as a matter of fact. And... Uh, I got to know through the website. Your church website's great. And so, uh, it's bios there. I got to see that and read that. I know the school and so forth. And then the messages are there. So, I listened to the messages. And I thought, hey, I like this. And so, I was sort of feeling like I was a loner, the only guy. And uh, so, I reached out to him and said sort of what I said. But also that I've been praying for you as well. And that led to coffee, and that leads to where we are today. So, with that, though, would you open your Bible to Luke chapter 16? Luke 16. It is a blessing to be here with you 
And I count it a great privilege to stand and open God's Word today and to preach. You know, on, on March 24th, 2015, uh, Lifeway, you're familiar with Lifeway, right? The Christian bookstore chain announced that they would no longer sell what they call Heaven Visitation Resources. All the books about people dying and going to heaven, then returning, have been pulled from the bookshelves and are no longer available on the Lifeway website. Uh, These book titles include 90 Minutes in Heaven by Don Piper. And I'm not going to ask you if you have any of these books on your shelves, so don't worry about that. Uh, which has sold 6.5 million copies in 46 languages and was slated to be released as a movie. Also, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven by Kevin and Alex Malarkey. Alex Malarkey, by the way, has since admitted that he lied about having a vision of heaven as a six-year-old boy. And Heaven is for Real by Todd Burpo was pulled along with the companion movie that had been released. This decision by Lifeway came on the heels of a resolution that was overwhelmingly approved by the Southern Baptist Convention at their annual meeting. The resolution warned Christians not to allow, and I quote, the numerous books and movies purporting to explain or describe the afterlife experience to become their source and basis for an understanding of the afterlife. And the resolution went on to affirm, and I quote again, the sufficiency of biblical revelation over subjective experiential explanations to guide one's understanding of the truth about heaven and hell. In other words, trust your Bible. Trust the Bible when it comes to your understanding of heaven. The Bible and only the Bible can affirm that the Christian's future hope of heaven is genuine, not somebody's supposedly trip. Now, two or three years ago, and I can't remember, they all run together after a while, but two or three years ago, I I did a 10-message series on heaven, and the series was entitled, Heaven, the Christian's Future Hope. And um, my goal in that series was to answer one question. What kind of place is heaven? And in this morning's text, in order to answer that question, um, we have to look beyond physical death. So we'll be looking beyond physical death this morning in order to answer that question. But this is the second message in that series. And... The one point I'll be dealing with this morning is, it is a place. In other words, heaven is a place where our redeemed spirits go at death. Heaven is a place where our redeemed spirits go at death. You are at Luke chapter 16, and we'll read that after praying. Father, I do pray that you would be glorified today. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would guide my thoughts I pray that you would grant us who are saved a different perspective about death. Many fear death. Many believers fear death. But from thy word today, we get a different perspective. 
Not that we are to fear, but we are even to desire it because of what lies beyond physical death. But Lord, for those who might be unsaved today, uh, as they look beyond death, uh, it should cause them to tremble. To tremble at what's coming after death that would lead them to conviction and conversion through the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you be glorified today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was saved in the military on the island of Okinawa in Japan. And as a GI, um, many of you are familiar with the story I'm going to be talking about this morning, the rich man in Lazarus. Um, As a GI, I, I used this story so many times in witnessing to unsaved GIs on the street. Uh, in the bar areas that I could recite it from memory. And my focus was always on the destiny of the rich man. And, and truly, that is the focus of this parable. But today, my focus is going to be on the destiny of Lazarus, not the rich man. If you'll peek down at verse 22, well, let's read the text first, all right? Luke 16, I'm just going to read verses 19 through 23. Uh, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, verse 22, if you'll notice there, it says that when Lazarus died, his spirit went directly to Abraham's bosom or to heaven. But also, if you search that text, uh, it doesn't say where his body, what happened to his body. Now, we are left to speculate. My speculation led me up to the bottom part of verse 21. Those wild dogs that had been licking his sores could have possibly eaten his body. Now, the rich man's body, on the other hand, we know where it went. It went into the grave. It was buried. Which means that this man was given a proper funeral service. And I can just imagine the funeral that this man had. And all of those people who came out, friends, uh, business people, and so forth, they crowded into that place and they used flowery language to describe this man's life. But his spirit went directly to Hades. Can you picture it? His funeral service, all the accolades, while his spirit is in Hades. Uh, if you're holding a King James Bible, it says the word hell, but the Greek word is actually Hades, and Hades is the temporary destination of the spirit. Uh, spirits of the unsaved until the great white throne judgment when they will be cast body and spirit into Gehenna for all eternity. Gehenna being the Greek word for hell. 
In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus made a promise to every born-again Christian, the gates of Hades shall not prevail. They will never close on us who are members of that universal body of Christ, that universal church. Just as Christ is building that church, He's going to take it up one day. Now the gates of Hades, those gates represent the power of death that close on the unsaved. But just think about this. Our union, that is you if you're saved this morning, your union with Jesus Christ is stronger than the power of death. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? Your union with Christ is a very strong union. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Paul asked in Romans chapter 8 verse 35. And then he proceeded to answer his own question. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life. And he goes on to list eight or ten other things. But the first one he listed was death. Paul was persuaded that death could not separate the believer from Jesus Christ. With his dying breath, Stephen cried out to God in Acts chapter 7 verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It happens that quickly. When the saved die, their spirit, redeemed spirit also called the soul, is immediately escorted into the presence of the Lord. Stephen expected to be immediately with Christ when he closed his eyes in death. That was his theological understanding of death and heaven. Meaning that he would experience no real loss of consciousness. In one instant he was here, and then in the next instant he was there. I want you to notice in our text here in Luke 16 that Jesus makes no mention of Lazarus having to make a temporary stop in what Catholicism calls purgatory. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says that, and I quote, it says that all who die in God's grace and friendship but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The teaching of purgatory became part of Catholic doctrine in the year 1435. It's like a temporary hell. Uh, where the sole purpose is to work off some of the remaining sin in a person that was not worked off in life. In other words, the more sin a person has in their life, well, guess what? The longer amount of time they've got to spend in purgatory before they can go on to heaven. Purgatory, when you think about it, is sort of like the American justice system. People who commit more serious crimes spend more time in jail than those who commit minor crimes. The fires of purgatory purge the remaining temporary sin away and prepare the person for entrance 
into heaven. And so what does that mean for the Catholic? Well, it means that a faithful Catholic uh, may attend Mass every week for their entire life, uh, confess their sins to a priest when they do wrong, participate in the sacrament of penance after committing a mortal sin, and yet when they die, they will still have to go to purgatory because they have not yet fully been purified from sin. Now, there's good news. The good news is that the time in purgatory can be cut short if the family says prayers, um, uh, gives alms, and especially asks the priest to say a mass on behalf of the deceased. Now, I don't know about you, but that simply doesn't sound like the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to bring. The gospel means... Good news. Here's what good news sounds like from the Bible. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man or woman should boast. Just before He died on the cross, Jesus said, It is finished. Meaning, the work of salvation was complete. In His prayer to the Father in John 17, Jesus said in verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Again, the work of salvation being complete. 1 John 1, 7, The blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, For I one offering He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Now that's the good news Jesus came to bring. That's the good news you believed. That's the good news that we are to declare to the uttermost part of the world. The person who has been perfected for all time through the gospel of Jesus Christ, needs no further purging after death in a place called purgatory. And all of God's people said, Amen Amen to that. You know the phrase, post-mortem, conjures up... um, the image of a coroner performing an autopsy on a body. At least for me and my wife it does. We love murder mysteries. I, we like to watch murder mysteries, you know. Uh, Murdoch, um, Masterpiece Theater and some of those. And, and so the body's on the ground and the detectives are standing over the body and the coroner is kneeling at the body and the detective says, how long has he been dead? Mm. Maybe uh, between 8 p.m. and midnight, uh, uh, what did he die of? Well, I'm not sure. I'll, be, uh, I'll, I'll know more after I do the post-mortem. That's like standard in every murder mystery. But in the story, 
of the rich man and Lazarus, we get a glimpse of the post-mortem state of the believer and the unbeliever. Uh, Would you look down at verses 22 and 25 and notice that Lazarus, in his post-mortem state, is in Abraham's bosom and he is comforted. Notice in verses 23, 25, and 28 that the rich man, on the other hand, is in Hades and he is tormented. This is their post-mortem state. And so this story beckons us to look beyond physical death. And if you're here this morning and you are unsaved, then what you see should cause shivers to run up your spine in torment, in Hades. But if you're here this morning and you are saved, then that post-mortem state looks pretty good. Pretty good. He's in Abraham's bosom. He's comforted. Oh, his life up there is so different than his life down here. As a matter of fact, that post-mortem state looks so good to the Apostle Paul that he desired it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul not only desired that post-mortem state, he preferred it to this life. Um, I'm going to ask you at this point, if you would, to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Keep your marker there at Luke 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for just a moment. And I want you to note verses uh, 6 and 8, because um, the first part of verse 6 and verse 8 tells us Paul's attitude toward death. And the second part of these verses tells us his reason for the attitude. And so look at verse 6, and I'm reading from the the New King James. First part of verse 6, notice his attitude toward death. He says, so we are always confident. Uh, Your translation might say courageous. Uh, Look at verse 8, first part. We are confident, in other words, courageous. Here's the reason why, second part of verse 6, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Then in the second part of verse 8, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. At the very moment that physical uh, physical life ceases, so does his absence from the Lord. And I can hear an amen coming out of Paul's mouth about that time. That's why he didn't fear death. You see, to Paul, death was simply the means to get him to where he wanted to go. Now, don't get him wrong. Paul, in my estimation, didn't have a death wish. He wasn't suicidal. The simple fact is, Paul faced death every day. Would you peek over at chapter 4 and verses 10 through 12, because you're going to find the word death in all three of those verses. 
Verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Verse 11, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 12, so then death is working in us, but life in you. Death, death, death. Falling them around. In chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, he is saying to the Corinthian believers, this is how I deal with it. Yes, it's on my heels every day when I stand before a crowd and I preach the gospel and they want to stone me like they have. This is my attitude. Paul also knew that at the very moment he died, he would begin to experience a level of fellowship and communion and worship that he could not experience on this earth. Now, we experience fellowship, communion, and and worship with Christ right now in this life. Right? I can only speak for myself. We experience uh, it in private, and we experience it in the corporate setting. But do you find that your communion and your worship and fellowship is hindered by the world, the flesh, and the devil? Man, I do. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I do. And Paul experienced the same struggle. Same struggle with the flesh. As a matter of fact, he very openly and honestly talked about it. Would you turn back to Romans um, to the left there, to Romans chapter uh, 7 and, and get a glimpse of his struggle in the flesh. Romans 7, we'll not read the whole text, but we'll, we'll, we'll jump in at verse 15 and read verse 15, then jump on down to verse 22. Verse 15, chapter 7 of Romans, he says, For what, what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Does that describe you? Look at verse 22. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. Have you ever felt wretched before? Where you had to fall on your face before God and plead with Him, do you forgive you for yielding to the flesh? Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now just think with me. What if those three enemies of communion were removed? All three of them, gone. Communion, fellowship, and worship with Christ would be unhindered, not just for a while, but for all eternity. And all of God's people said, Amen Amen to that. All eternity. I can just sense Paul's 
zeal and anticipation of that communion in Philippians 1.21. For me, for to me, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's just going to be a whole lot better. You see, this explains why Paul desired and even preferred that post-mortem state to his present state on earth. And, And then I put this question out to you, into myself. Should not our imperfect communion and worship with Christ cause us to desire perfect communion and worship with Christ? What is your answer? Absolutely. Then view death as Paul did. As the means to perfect, never-ending communion and worship with Christ. You know, I think many believers today, when they think about heaven and they'll be with Christ... It doesn't bring that much zeal. But if you're, if you're coming at it from Paul's understanding, I think it'll help. The Old Testament saints did not have that assurance that at death they would be with Christ. That revelation had not been completed yet. That's why they viewed their death very differently. If you read through the Old Testament, uh, their departure from this world took them to Sheol. They didn't like it. Uh, A lot of them spoke negatively about it. That's another message, but they spoke negatively about it because there wasn't that assurance that you and I have that at death we will be with Christ. Now, they had the assurance that, yes, they were going to a very good place, even an Edenic place like Eden but without the assurance that they would be with Christ or with God, it didn't look as good to them. And so see it from Paul's perspective that unlike the Old Testament saints, he desired that communion, that perfect unending communion. He preferred that unending communion. You know, at death, Lazarus' spirit went to heaven. Now, we're not so sure about what happened to his body. We're left to speculation. Um, It's a simple reminder that when a believer dies in this life, his or her spirit goes to heaven, but they are without a physical body. If your grandmother or grandfather or parent died in Jesus Christ in this life, their spirit is in heaven, but you probably attended their funeral, didn't you? Paul Paul understood that. Paul knew that he would be without a physical body until the bodily resurrection of believers from the grave. If you notice there in 2 Corinthians chapter verse 2 he says desiring to be clothed in verse 3 he says that he will be naked 
And yet Paul makes it very clear that being naked with Christ is more desirable and preferable than being clothed in a physical body and absent from him. You see, according to Jesus, and according to Paul, understanding of death and heaven, the very moment a believer departs this life at death, he or she will be immediately with Christ in heaven. Heaven is a place where redeemed spirits go at death. What kind of place is heaven? This is what it is. Heaven is a place where redeemed spirits go at death. It was true of Lazarus. It was true of Stephen. And I'm going to get a bit personal right now, if you don't mind. It was true of my dad. My father. You know, my dad died five years ago. March 10th will be six years. I still remember the last conversation I had with him before his mental abilities were gone. He knew that he was dying. And as the two of us sat um, there at his favorite restaurant in Coleman, Alabama, at McDonald's, that was his favorite restaurant, he got the little burger and a cup of coffee. So as we sat there at his favorite restaurant, we talked about dying. And I asked him, Dad, Who do you want to see when you go to heaven? And it was a wide open question. I had no idea what he was going to say. Here was a man who was on the brink and he knew it. And he said, without a hesitation, Jesus Christ. He didn't say his mother whom he was very close to. He didn't say anybody else. He said, Jesus Christ, that's who he longed to see. He looked forward to being with Christ. Well, a year later, I was at his bedside at the hospital with the rest of the family waiting for death to come. I was seated on the one side of the bed I was holding his hand. When I literally felt death move down his arm into the hand I was holding. And at that instant, I knew my dad had died. But even then, in the midst of my sorrow... As now, I am able to look beyond my father's physical death and see his post-mortem state through the Bible, through the Scriptures. And when I see his post-mortem state through the Scriptures, it looks pretty good. And in the millennial kingdom, it will look even better when every child of God is clothed in a glorified body. Amen? Amen. Heaven is a place where redeemed spirits go at death. 
The question is, is that the place you will go at death? When you look beyond physical death, what do you see? What's your future? Is it one like Lazarus's? Or is it one like the rich man's? If your future is like Lazarus, then I would encourage you to have Paul's attitude about death. Have his attitude. If it isn't, then tremble at what lies beyond physical death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your, for your powerful Word. We don't trust men's Word when it comes to this important matter of death in heaven. We must trust Your Word. And, O oh Lord, when we look into it as we did this morning and we considered Lazarus's post-mortem state and we see the joys of that state through the eyes of Paul, it helps us to have a different attitude toward our own impending death. Lord, each of us here would rather not experience it Each of us here would rather be caught up into the clouds with Jesus. And yet, the great possibility is that we would experience physical death. But help us to see it through the eyes of the Scriptures. That it's simply the means to get us to where we want to go or should want to go. Into a perfect communion, a perfect fellowship, a perfect worship unhindered for all eternity with Christ. And I pray that each person here today can say that that's my future. That's what's waiting on me at death. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen.